This podcast is brought to you by Hunches.app. Hunches.app is a prediction game where users compete against the crowd to be right about future events and can discuss questions at length in the comments section. The goal here is to be more right than the crowd for a longer period of time. So if you think you know what's going to happen about tons of different events and things in life, one of those being Game of Thrones, everybody's talking about it right now. Everybody has their own predictions and ideas. Who's going to sit on the Iron Throne at the end of things? Who will kill Cersei? Well, this is the app for you. Some of the really cool Game of Thrones questions they have right now include, which main characters will die this season? Would you pick Jon, Danny, Tyrion, Cersei? Will the Night King come back? How about one for our Clatchers? Will we see Ghost again? They give you little explanations underneath. So for this one, it says, John gave Ghost a notoriously lazy send-off. Will he be back one more time for a proper goodbye, or is that it for our beloved direwolf? Will Bronn kill Jaime or Tyrion? Will Danny kill Varys? It's a really fun prediction app, and it goes further than Game of Thrones. Here's another fun one. Star Wars vs. Avengers. Which will do better in theaters? Endgame or Episode 4? How about this one? Samsung's $2,000 folding phone is breaking for some users after two days. Will it be discontinued? And I have a hunch that it will be discontinued because it's been delayed yet again. You do better if you're more right than the crowd for a longer period of time. So if the crowd starts to shift towards a certain answer, then you're going to do less well. But if you've been saying this thing's going to happen for a long time and nobody believes you, you could be doing really well. But either way, that's okay because you can change and update your predictions at any time. For nerds like us, this is cool because thinking in probabilities and breaking down questions into components is not only fun, it helps you become better decision makers. You can improve your reasoning and avoid those cognitive biases we've talked about before. It's also backed by academic research on harnessing the wisdom of crowds. That's what makes this interesting. You can see the history and track how the probability goes up or down over time. And you can play on any device. Just save the app and you can play on the go. Phone, tablet, desktop, laptop, doesn't matter. All you have to do is visit hunches.app forward slash CKC in your web browser. That's hunches.app forward slash CKC to test your skills today. Be sure to use the forward slash CKC so that Hunches knows we sent you and hopefully continue to support us. And let us know how you're doing. And Jason and I will go on and make some separate predictions so we can keep vying for winner of the microphone. I think I'm going to be more right. Visit hunches.app forward slash CKC. Game of Thrones. Oh my god. There's dragons. You gotta watch it. You see them. There's this fight scene. Winter's coming. 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 Fucking red wedding. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our Dracaris. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. The night is dark and full of terror, but we're here to shed some light on this week's Game of Thrones. Season 8, Episode 4, The Last of the Starks. Written by Benioff and Weiss, directed by David Nutter. This episode had a runtime of 78 minutes. IMDb is currently giving it a 7.3 and Rotten Tomatoes a 74%. 
It's something to note that IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes seem to be consistently going down. And very close in score, although I believe this is as of today when we're recording, Rotten Tomatoes has dropped even further to a 60-something percent. Oh. Yeah, there was a lot of negative reviews out there. I'll give you one of the positives from Hollywood Reporter who says, Without a frozen undead menace standing in the way, Game of Thrones has left the core cast with nowhere to hide as their true human nature comes to the surface all while the race for who will sit the Iron Throne accelerates. Now, it's worth saying, not the first time in Game of Thrones history we had a leak leading up to the episode. As far as I know, not the full episode. We did not go searching for it because we didn't want spoilers. But I read a few reports that said a few hours before the Eastern Standard Time airing, 30 seconds of footage leaked on Twitter and YouTube. So it was only a clip, but it was showing the death of an important character. And now having watched the episode, we can glean who that was. Well, it could have been either of two. I still haven't watched it. I haven't either, but I'm pretty sure that it was the final death of the episode. We're going to get into all of this in a second. So spoilers are coming in case you haven't watched the episode yet. However, as per usual, it doesn't seem that this has impacted the viewership. We don't have the final numbers on episode four yet, of course. But just keeping to U.S. viewers, episode one had 11 million, two had 10 million, and three had 12 million. And that's just live viewers. And only in the U.S. (laughs) Killing it. We mentioned David Nutter was back to direct this. He did episodes one and two of this season. This is his ninth episode, making him the most frequent director for the Game of Thrones series. He was actually supposed to direct episodes three, four, and five. Whoa. Apparently, three and five were so time-consuming that they gave this four to Nutter. But interesting to say that the reason Sapochnik wanted to do that, he described those three episodes chronicling a single story with a beginning, middle, and end. Which is interesting, because episode three, The Long Night, seemed to be very different than this episode four, kind of taking place against... Two different enemies, two different styles. So that intrigues me as to what's coming in episode five. A few more fun facts. The double Ds were on set and on film for this episode. We didn't see it live, but when we watched it back, it was very obvious. Everyone was looking at Tormund during these toasts. But right behind him, there they were. They had the beards and everything, but their cheeks were so soft looking. (laughs) I think that's why, though. It doesn't really look like them until you kind of freeze it and look up close. But I guess they're having a little bit of fun and maybe certain things aren't getting as close of scrutiny because you sent me another one. Yes, and again, the whole internet is aware of this, but we have to bring it up. During that same scene for about two seconds when they showed Danny's face, on the table in front of her is a Starbucks cup, or what seems to be a Starbucks. It's definitely a coffee (laughs) cup of this time frame of 2019. Uh, An oversight, indeed. Something they could have, if they saw it in post, could have easily gotten rid of. Mm Mm-hmm. But we're seeing the memes out there. They have all of Winterfell that looks like a a strip mall with Starbucks on there now. (laughs) It's pretty funny. HBO did respond to these memes and everything with a little bit of humor, which I kind of respect. They said, and quote, the latte that appeared in the episode was a mistake. Daenerys had ordered an herbal tea. And that was in a press release Monday. I think that's pretty funny. As a business, it's always best to laugh at yourself and make fun of yourself. But when you're an artist and you hold this dearly to you, and we've been victims of this as well, we read a review and we're like, 
about us. And we're like, what the fuck? Mm. The art director, Hawk Richer, said things can get forgotten on set. The coffee cup era has been so blown out of proportion because it has never happened with Thrones so far. So, I mean, I can see where he's saying like, all right, guys, chill out. We made one mistake out of how many hours of filming? I didn't even catch it when it was live, to be honest with you. I had to be told about it later. Oh, yeah, it was only two seconds. And you were looking at Danny, not the table in front of her. But still, it's fun. <laughs> Well, as we do in all our episodes, it's important for us to acknowledge our deaths that we had this time. There were two pretty emotionally impactful ones in episode four. The first was Rhaegal. Now, it's worth talking about that in season seven, Kyburn came up with this plan to have the blacksmiths build scorpions, essentially giant crossbows that shoot arrows capable of piercing dragon skin. Yeah. It wasn't refined at the time, didn't really have an effect on Drogon during the loot train battle, but it's also possible that they do a lot more damage if they hit sensitive spots on the dragon. We see Rhaegal take the first arrow and it seems like he's going to be okay until another one hits him in the face and then multiple ones hit him. So definitely where they strike is important, but these scorpions themselves, Benioff and Weiss have said behind the scenes, are supposed to be souped up. Like, Kyburn went back to work. They're bigger. They're more powerful. They can do more damage now. iPhone 10. It, yeah, they're way bigger. And the arrows, when they shoot, they're closed, the metal part. And then once they're released, they open up and spin, essentially making a big circular hole in whatever it hits. Yeah, and even the scorpion itself looks stronger. It has metal rivets now along yeah. the sides instead <clears throat> of just the wooden structure. And they have a bunch of them. Unfortunately, that's the biggest part. They have them mounted on every ship during the attack with Euron. And then we see at the gates of King's Landing, it's on every one of the battlemen tops. Oh. They are ready for this to the point that it's not fair. I was <laughs> frankly shocked that they didn't just open fire and take Drogon out right then and there. He was pretty far away. I'm not sure if he was within range, but it feels like now he's not even a weapon that we can utilize. How do you get him anywhere close without risking your last final dragon? We're going to get to some of those questions from the Clatchers later on. Coming back to Rhaegal here, though, we also saw when Kyburn was first creating these things, he demonstrated it to Cersei in a scene that we now see in the opening credits when they go down below King's Landing. Yeah. And there's the scorpion pointed at the dragon skull. That's a nod to that former scene. As far as how Rhaegal went out in the episode, we got a lot of write-ins on this as well. Eric says, regarding the sea battle ambush, the dragons are flying some 200 feet up in the air. Yes. Maybe higher. How do they not see the Greyjoy's fleet? Exactly. And how were they able to ambush the dragons? I cannot pretend to know for sure. I would have to take a closer look at Dragonstone. It seemed like there was a side bay area yeah. that the Kraken fleet was sort of hiding, hiding out in. So as we were coming around the front, they were around a bend that we didn't see. For the ships, it makes sense. For the dragons, I really don't know. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to speak my mind. I'm very emotional about this. I've said in the past many times, and actually Clatcher just mirrored it in one of their emails, when it comes to cinema and animals, I get a hundred times more upset when an animal gets hurt mm -hmm. as opposed to a human, especially when it's an animal as beloved as our dragons that we've loved and worshipped, especially in the beginning when we rarely saw them on screen. Every time we saw them, like, those are our dragons, you know? 
So to lose this dragon after a great war in this manner was very heartbreaking to me. It felt like it was unearned. Well, it's twofold with an animal like this, right? Because you have the emotional attachment, everything from Danny's journey, all of the struggles that she's been through coming up, these being her children. And we'll talk later how many things were stripped from Danny in this episode, just taking her down a peg at a time, to finding out that the connection is really between John and Rhaegal. That's kind of his dragon that he has a bond with. We don't get to see John spend an awful lot of time on Rhaegal before he's taken from us. But two, these animals are also weapons, and they're weapons crucial in our battle against Cersei. So to lose another one right before we're going in to meet her hits on that impact as well. And the fact there's only one left, and we don't know of any other eggs being in existence. So I think it's too late, even if there are, to bring that in. I just mean species-wise. Look... I don't want to get too into the logistics. I think it's just myself being in denial. So when you're using a scorpion with arrows that large and a machine that big, there is no $5,000 scope on there with a red dot, wind resistance put into play, the math of all that shit, the curvature of the earth. There is none of that. So you're not going to get them. It takes about three or four shots just to get the range of where those arrows are going to go. This is the only part of it that I thought maybe was believable if they didn't see them flying overhead somehow. And that kind of defies belief for me. But they catch them off guard and they're sort of just cruising around in the same spot in the sky, temporarily seeing Dragonstone, getting that feeling, we're here, we're home, we let our guard down. That's one thing to be noted. Their guard was down, they were home. Right. So now they shoot off a bunch and Rhaegal's kind of a little bit stationary in the sky, they get him on a couple. Now we're aware, and we start moving, and later Danny actually uses tactics to try to get away with Drogon, and maybe that's why he doesn't get shot. Well, actually, I want to argue that. I think something that Danny's really lacking, and it's not her fault, is how to ride these dragons. And it's not like the dragons know any better because they didn't grow up with their parents. Mm-hmm. Danny was never taught. She knows how to be destructive. We would know how to be destructive with a dragon. You fly in, fire, mm-hmm. fly out. <laughs> <laughs> she gets very emotional, which I would have as well. And she starts diving for those ships. And they're pretty far away because they're at a dead dive and mm-hmm. they're still far enough away. Then when she sees like 30 arrows come at, at them, she thinks better, finally and move, maneuvers out. But that's not the way you would maneuver out. If you watch it again, she pulls the dragon right. So he's turning right away from them, mm-hmm. bearing his chest and the full mass the of his body. spots. As opposed to getting out of the way where the skinniest part of your body is exposed. I, I'm, and obviously, I wasn't taught by her parents either, but just tactics-wise, there's a better way to get out of that zone. Tactics-wise, the best thing, and I guess the question we'll never have answered on Game of Thrones, can they swim? Could, she, could he have gone right down into the water? Oh, um, I don't know. I don't know. As a um, flying creature, most of the times, no, but because dragons are kind of reptiles? Just a thought that struck me all of a sudden. But, really heavy, though. Um, yeah, you're not the only one feeling this way being upset about Rhaegal being taken from us. We had a bunch of write-ins, one coming from Todd saying, I can't tell you how depressed this episode made me because I'm one of those crazy animal lovers who cares more about the animals than the people. 
Yes, I know dragons are not real, but clearly the show expects me to be emotionally invested in something. And damn it, watching Rhaegal get harpooned to death was horrific. I was upset. I was heartbroken. And that after the impassionate brush off Jon gave to his longest and most loyal companion, Ghost. By now, we all know the show doesn't like rendering the direwolves, and this was a rather blatant way of making their job easier to eliminate him. But I wish we had gotten a decent scene of Jon saying goodbye. You know, this could be a goodbye to another beloved, one of our last beloved animal characters, if in fact Ghost is going north with the wildlings beyond the wall. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the last we see of him. Will we ever see Nymeria? I don't know, but... If so, we kind of have to acknowledge the goodbye to him as well. I'm feeling very torn. Him being ghost? Yes. Okay. I'm feeling very torn about how he exited. Yeah. I've been super frustrated and it hasn't been a secret with the lack of dire wolves in our Game of Thrones universe. Not bringing them as much into the story because they're harder to CGI. And at times, John kind of seeming, especially in these last few seasons, that he doesn't really know where Ghost is half the time, what's going on with him. He goes into the front lines of battle last fight. I actually thought this was the first smart decision John made. Yes. To say, <clears throat> he doesn't belong here. He's never belonged here. And as long as he keeps accompanying me, he's going to be in danger. Direwolves are meant to be in the north and please take him back. That probably saved his life. Did I wish we got a little more time with him before that had happened? Absolutely. But in the moment, I don't know if John would have been able to bring himself to break that last final bond, everybody he's saying goodbye to, if he interacted any more with him than he did. Yeah, I just felt so bad because he whined a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, and you can see he's a little beat up. Just a hug would have made us feel better. The wine is actually a big deal because I'm not sure how true they kept to this in the series, but in the books, Ghost never made any noise at all. That's part of the reason why they called him that. He was so silent all the time. He could sneak up behind some of the people, the things they were attacking. And they have kind of kept pretty true to that in the TV series. So I think it's meant to have an effect on you to hear him do that here. But yeah, the magical creatures not getting the time we want with them, seeing them taken off screen, this is really tough. And it makes me really, really afraid that Drogon's going to wind up going out before the end of this too. Frustratingly, because I don't think Danny can keep a hold on her emotions. By the end of this episode, it yeah. seems like she just wants to jump on him and go torch things. And I think she's going to try to do that. Yeah, um, I don't have a lot of hope in the way she's thinking. I didn't this whole episode, to be honest with you. I think what Sansa was saying to her, and I'm jumping ahead, So I'll get into this more later. But what Sansa was saying to her in the meeting held a lot of weight. And I think she should have let all of her people heal, her dragons heal, herself heal. Get some information about what's going on over there. Do some recon and then then attack. Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about her tactics and where this episode leaves us feeling with her. We have one more very important death, though, to acknowledge from this episode, and that's Masande, who, of course, died from beheading at the hands of the mountain, but on the orders of Cersei. One of Danny's closest advisors and friends, and after losing Jorah in the last battle, two of her dragons being taken from her, this is one of the most devastating blows that Cersei could have dealt her. So to send her off with honor, let's just give a little bit more information about Masande, who was born on the island of Noth in the Summer Sea, off the coast of the continent of Sothorios. She was enslaved at a young age and taken to Slaver's Bay in Essos, where she was eventually put to work as an interpreter for Krasny's Monaclis, one of the masters of Astapor. This is where we first met her. 
Among her many skills, Masande speaks 19 languages, including High Valyrian, Dithraki, and the common tongue of Westeros, as well as some of the functionally dead language of Giscari, one of the things that made her so useful early on. Now, it's interesting to note in the TV version, she was the most dramatically aged up character in the series. In the books, when we first started off, she was supposed to be 10 years old, the same age that Arya was supposed to be when we began. Well, the actress, Natalie Emanuel, was 23 when she was cast. We don't know definitively, but we think that her on-screen age is supposed to be somewhere around there. In spite of whichever age she was, it was still young when they first started off together. Masande was incredibly intelligent and has served as a key advisor to Danny this whole time. And the love of Grey Worm's life, the last of his humanity, really. Yeah, that's another theme to kind of explore as we go through this episode. Any of these relationships that have been in place or have been building recently, it seems like most of them either came to or are coming to an unhappy conclusion after this episode. We saw Arya having to refuse Gendry, despite the fact that she does care about him because being the Lady of Storm's End is not Arya, (laughs) after all. We saw Brienne and Jamie finally get together which was an amazing moment to have on screen that we will dissect. But unfortunately, he leaves later on to go to King's Landing. Talk more about that. If you guys can hear this, I don't know if it's picking up, but there's someone mowing their lawn outside. (laughs) Sorry about that. We saw the Hound turn down companionship for the night. Certainly not a relationship, but him saying, I have other business before I could even think about being happy or at peace for a moment. We saw the tension continuing to divide a huge wedge between John and Danny. That's Danny's fault. (laughs) Don't even go there yet. But one of the last examples of a relationship that seemed to be blossoming so beautifully and these two characters talking recently about how maybe when this was all done, they could go off to Noth together and live happily ever after. We knew that wasn't going to be able to happen, but to have it shattered in such a way here, I think, is a demonstration of this is Game of Thrones, man. (laughs) The question it leaves me with, how do you think... Grey Worm will react moving forward? Will he fight even harder for Danny because he's so upset with Cersei? Or is this like a last straw that he was ready to be out and now he's out? No, I think he's going to fight for sure. That's the only thing he has left to fight for. Nothing left but vengeance now? Yeah. Mm. Man, this is one of those episodes where we can't help getting ahead of ourselves. Let's slow it down a little bit and properly go into our crow's eye view where we will dissect the plot, beginning with our opening sequence. As we start off moving through the wall, we see that the tiles on the ground are solid blue, no longer flipping over all the way through to Winterfell. The Great Hall, the inside of the castle, is broken in shambles, stones overturned, I guess just to represent the chaos, although down in the crypts, the lights are back on. And King's Landing, as of right now, looks the same. You know what? I didn't notice... So we have to check it. I wonder if the scorpions were on top during the animation. Oh, of the walls. Yeah. I did not look for that. Good question. I was looking at the floor and the inside. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't even thinking about that. If anybody caught that, let us know. But our first real scene opens up in Winterfell with Danny standing outside over Jorah's body and whispering something to him that we can't hear. Final words. On her jacket, I noticed that beautiful winter coat she wears that she had a three-headed dragon pin And our attention was really called to this because the camera zoomed in. And then another second later, we're going to go to Sansa with her Stark pin. Has she always worn that and we just haven't really seen it before? I believe so. Different versions of it. A lot of times they were, I want to say cape. 
but like drape holders. Mm. She always had some kind of dragon thing for sure. The fact that it's three headed, you know, mm. and this calls back all of those prophecies and stories from the books. You know, the dragon has three heads, three dragon riders. None of this matters anymore now that we only have one dragon. But I wondered if that was a little nod to that and also to demonstrate the difference that when we do go over to Sansa crying for the loss of Theon, she actually takes off her Stark pin and puts it on his body. That's something he always wanted, right? Mm -hmm. To be a Stark. Do you think it's curious that Jon didn't have Theon buried in the crypts? No, because only, well, you could say he is a Stark, but up until now, those of that lineage, it's a very, very high place of honor and maybe still a mess, honestly, right now. I think that... And we can't forget what he's done, so you're right. These funeral pyres are almost a... (sighs) more beautiful type of ritual that they need right now to honor them. We see everyone else in the yard standing around looking on somberly at these rows and rows of huge funeral pyres, so many dead. And it's John who steps forward to give the speech. You know, him and Danny are both standing there and we're going to talk about her merits versus what worries us for her as a ruler leader. But I know John's been getting a little heat <laughs> in the sense that he is a typical pig-headed Stark. He can't help but to be loyal and honest to a fault, to a point that maybe gets him in trouble within this episode. Just there like are Ned. things that he just can't help but to do. However, there are also things that do make him an incredible ruler and make people want to follow him. And one of the hardest moments, I have to believe, for a ruler is trying to navigate this situation. He is so emotional himself, but to give those people the final respect that they deserve. He says, we're here to say goodbye to our brothers and sisters, our fathers and mothers, to our our friends, friends, our fellow men and women who set aside their differences to fight together and die together so that others might live. Everyone in this world owes them a debt that can never be repaid. It is our duty and our honor to keep them alive in memory for those who come after us and those who come after them. For as long as men draw breath, they were the shields that guarded the realms of men and we shall never see their like again. Beautifully said. And pulling from the Night's Watch words for their funerals at the end, like such a great mixture. Well, there were some Night Watches in there. There was so many. I think it's apropos to use many different languages. If, if he knew Dothraki, maybe to say something Dothrakian. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really get a good look at that. They did pan around at some of our bigger characters as they're lighting up those pyres. We see Jorah, Lyanna, Beric, Theon. But I kind of expected a few words for the Dothraki and Unsully we'd lost. What did they do with all the undead bodies and the dragon? Where? where'd... I'm assuming they had to burn them in another pyre somewhere. Jeez. The dragon? I have <clears throat> no idea. I think this was an important scene for our characters and for us as viewers to get a little bit of closure on all the loss and craziness of last episode. And it ends with the air just filling with smoke, just overwhelming. 
Then we move to the Great Hall, where the survivors engage in a somber feast. It starts out very quiet. Everyone's sort of eating and looking around at each other. But eventually, it warms up a bit. People are drinking. It ends up even getting kind of rowdy. It seems like that survivor's celebration. You know, we need to enjoy the fact that we're all alive, that we all made it out of here. We go through a bunch of different characters, starting off with Gendry, who's looking for Arya, when Danny spots him and calls him out as Robert Baratheon's bastard. It seems like she's going to take her usual hard line as she starts out with a speech about how Robert had her family killed. But then, reflecting that no one currently holds Storm's End, she appoints him Lord. She names him Lawful Son and Heir because, quote, that's what I have made you. So we start off this episode with her being tactful thinking about tactical that's what i meant yeah both (laughs) yeah and and, i mean unfortunately that deteriorates later but that was promising and i enjoyed that seeing danny do something positive well it's what her advisors have been telling her to do right if you go out there and just burn all of your enemies and their sons and every you're gonna have nobody left in rebuilding a new world you have to start with alliances somewhere and I know that Sansa is going to give a look towards what she's doing later when she realizes that Danny's decisions are in part political and she seems frustrated with that this is another reason not to trust Danny and later on the Starks will tell John in the Godswood we don't trust outsiders anybody who's not of the north but John rebuts that point as well. It's some time you have to make allies. You can't just isolate yourself up here in the North because what if things happen? What if a long night happens and you need people to come help you? So I absolutely think this was the right move. It was a smart move. Gendry is a war hero. He's done a lot for this fight. He made all of those weapons before the battle. And he's a good man. Absolutely. When Davos then toasts Gendry, the hall follows suit. It was one of the first of the uplifting moments. Everyone's cheering. Tyrion privately tells Danny it was smart because now he'll be forever loyal to her. And she responds, well, he isn't the only clever one. That's the part that Sansa catches and looks on worriedly. Then Davos reflects on the mystery of Melisandre and the Lord of Light, telling Tyrion, we fight his war and win. And then he fucks off. <laughs> no signs or blessings. Who knows what he wants? I thought that was kind of apropos to us people who have been trying to figure out the religion, the destiny, the greater purpose of everything. Yeah. And Tyrion makes a key statement here, thinking it's not over yet because they still have themselves to contend with. What I said last week, I feel so ignorant after watching this episode. I was like, the humans are going to want to work with each other, be on Team Human. Wow, that deteriorated real quick. Right away. (laughs) Just lines being drawn again. Well, you could see it wanting to happen, starting to happen in this banquet, and it was purposefully getting us frustrated. This is the time for them to come together. Some characters are doing it and some characters can't put that aside. We go over to Tyrion, remarking to Bran that he knows their history better than anyone and thus will now make a good Lord of Winterfell. Bran tries to deny this station, saying he is beyond wants and lives mostly in the past now. So it seems as though, at least at this point, Bran is out. He's done with the story. Um, I'm going to be left with a bunch of questions after this. I thought Bran and Sam both had a larger part in our endgame than just the battle against the Night King. There's still so much more to be heard about what is this history of the world thing. What about recording our future, Sam's place at potentially the Citadel, where the records get kept? I can't imagine this is the last scene we get of him, but when John says goodbye later in the courtyard and he's standing there with 
Gilly, who's pregnant again, it feels like it could have been an end to that chapter. So I'm concerned, confused. I don't know. Well, I'm assuming, and this is totally out of left field, that the battle will be next episode. And the final episode will be what happens, the pieces that fall into place after. So maybe we will see them again up north. Well, back to the banquet when Tormund lifts a horn to the dragon queen, Danny makes a different toast to Arya Stark, the hero of Winterfell. Again, trying to play things smart here. Yeah. She is not the savior. Arya is the one that killed the Night King. Let's give her some recognition. It's working. The revelry continues. But Tormund, getting increasingly drunk, starts gushing to the others that this is why they've followed Jon. He's strong enough to befriend an enemy, get murdered for it, and return to keep fighting. Climb a dragon and ride it. The only person who does that is a madman or a king. I thought it was interesting they called out for the first time in a while that Jon came back from the dead. (laughs) I don't remember him ever having that conversation with Danny. It feels like an important thing that maybe we would have touched on at some point. Now it just seems like public knowledge. Everyone knows that about him. It's one of the many on a mounting list that you could see why people who are following him would think John is meant to rule. Not only is he good at inspiring others to follow and he'll fight along with them, but up until this point, he's had all those extra little boxes like he could ride a dragon if he wanted to and he came back from the dead after all and clearly it's enough to seriously concern Danny who is watching on and not too happy with this she leaves after that remark half the problem is how Danny is still clinging on to this making it a real serious issue John tries to kind of put that to bed a little bit later and she's not hearing it it's still got to be her way I understand what's making her nervous, and we're going to get into that in a minute. And it does start to unfold exactly the things she's afraid of later on. But I think she also needs to see continuing down that track is only going to further alienate her friends and potentially make them enemies. The friends she has left. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, Tyrion, Jaime, Brienne, and Pod are playing that drinking game of Tyrion's, having great fun until things turn serious when he guesses that Brienne is a virgin. Embarrassed, she doesn't answer, and when she leaves the table, Jamie follows. It's important to note that this drinking game was in season one. With Shay and Braun. <laughs> That's right. But Tyrion, why does he pick at that? I thought he was above this now. First of all, I think Tyrion needs every chance to prove how smart, smart he is. and observant he is, especially yeah. with so many blows to him lately. It's just like a little ego boost. But a part of me wonders if he was trying to nudge the Jamie Brienne thing that he saw developing that neither one of them was going to act on. And it worked. (laughs) When they leave, Tormund starts lamenting his broken heart (laughs) to the Hound, but quickly recovers when a Northern girl comes on to him. However, the Hound roughly denies her friend and Sansa goes to talk to him. He reflects on how much she has changed since they last met and thinks none of this would have happened to her if she'd left King's Landing with him. But she thinks if she had, she'd still be a little bird. Well, I think that's very wise of her, and I agree. Although she does make some mistakes this episode Mm -hmm. where I feel like that was the little bird. I don't know. I think it's her trying to be smart and scheme to protect her family that she's never going to put herself in a position to be that vulnerable anymore. And she knows the only way she can do that is by the things she learned from Littlefinger, trying to move things around, shift things so that it works out for them. The level to which she's doing that makes me worry that she is moving away from her essential starkness into more of a Littlefinger-type character. I like this conversation here with the Hound, 
I like that we get to see the Hound interact with both her and Arya later on. Then we see Jamie find Brienne alone in her room. They share some incredibly awkward conversation where he admits he was a little jealous of Tormund, but their mutual attraction is undeniable and they do wind up sleeping together. I was so happy <laughs> to see this. Finally, the two of them get past everything. This is like real life. When you really want to be with somebody and you're supposed to be together, but you keep letting all of these other things keep you apart. And down to the awkwardness of actually having that moment. And maybe it won't even happen just because of that. But I thought it was such a big step for both characters to be vulnerable and allow themselves that. Unfortunately, so short-lived. But I can't help but believe it is something that would make them both happy. And also, Danny goes to see John, sharing with him she couldn't love Jorah the way he wanted, not the way she loves John. They kiss, but he breaks away, and Danny wishes he had never shared the truth of his parentage with her because she can't forget now. She laments that people used to look at her the way his men looked at him tonight, but never on this side of the sea. He tries to insist he doesn't want rulership, but she thinks it doesn't matter because his men will press it upon him. The only way this will work is if he doesn't share that truth with anyone because it would destroy them. He falters, thinking he has to tell Sansa and Arya their family, but that's exactly what Danny is afraid of. Sansa is not the girl you grew up with, she says. And I think that John has maybe failed to recognize that in a it, way that's going to bite him in the ass. It does no one any good telling Sansa and Arya the truth. Why does it matter? They don't need to know. It doesn't change anything. It changes a lot, but in a way that he doesn't want it to, well, that yeah. he was trying to avoid. In some sense, you can kind of see where she's coming from. That will never stay a secret. And so many people support him already that they're going to push him to that. And he's going to get caught up in a tide that he can't escape. But if he didn't say anything to them, Bran wouldn't have said anything. Sam wouldn't have said anything. They would have been safe with it. Tyrion and Varys are the real culprits. They are but the they didn't know then. schemers behind the scenes while she tells well, Tyrion. Yeah. We're not there yet. I was That's trying to be good. her biggest fault. <laughs> you have to know if you're telling the advisor to the queen, the man behind the scenes, that's going to go somewhere. So, I mean, I understand yet again where both John and Danny are coming from. That's why this is so frustrating. But she takes the hard line again. She leaves him with the ultimatum. So many mistakes. Her being so hard-headed, I think, is a mistake. But I understand where it's coming from. This isn't her main mistake. Her main mistake is later. Mm -hmm. But again, we haven't gotten there. But John saying anything is a big mistake. Well, and if he is giving, you have to be willing to give too. She doesn't want to lose all of her ground and all of her power. But he is flat out saying, I have a better claim to the throne and I don't want it. I want you to rule. That's such a big concession that you have to give. A, she hasn't been willing to give for his family. Why not tell him here? You can't tell them the truth because then they're going to want you to rule. But once I rule, you guys can be kings in the north the way you want. Right. You can have your family and your... She's just not giving any of that what it's going to take with him. Anyhow, the next day, the counselors all plan their moves at the war table. They give us the count. They have lost half their Unsullied and Northmen, Ugh. which is actually surprising to me. It seemed during the fight as though they had lost way more than that. It does seem that almost all the Dothraki are gone, but I had thought the Northern forces the Knights of the Vale and the Unsullied were really, really diminished. As it is, though, they talk about how the Golden Company has arrived in King's Landing, and pretty much this makes the balance even. 
the numbers one-to-one. But Danny also knows that Cersei will make sure the people don't believe their story about saving them from the dead. Of course. This is exactly what we had predicted. Something that would help to pull the people over to their side in their favor. She's already spreading the tales that this is a bunch of nonsense. And Danny is a usurper who wants to come in and take this realm by force. She's no good for you. Propaganda is at work. <laughs> Varys tries to point out that Cersei's allies have dwindled. After all, Yara has retaken the Iron Islands. And surprise, surprise, the new Prince of Dorne pledged his support to Danny. I thought that was a point we were going to drop. And it didn't make a lot of sense to me because we were on our way to pick up the Dornish allies before all of this started. But I didn't think they had time to return to that. And I don't know if we will, but that's an untapped resource that we have so little left. We said, who could possibly come in as reinforcements for our side at this point? We were going even long shot on, could Dario come back with the Second Sons, a sellsword army of his own, to battle the Golden Company? But Dorna's been here and waiting. Maybe they could. Uh, but Danny insists they still need to take the capital. This isn't enough. So Tyrion, trying to keep her level again, saying, remember the goal is to keep this intact and kill as few innocent people as we can, suggests that they wait it out. If the people grow hungry, they will see Cersei as their only enemy and turn on her. She's not happy, but she relents to the idea until she's pushed a little too far yet again by Sansa saying that their men need time to rest and recuperate before another battle. And then she gives this emotional response. I came here to help you. The second I need your help. You're reneging on your deal. And it's like, no, she's being smart. And I agree with her plan. The problem is, it's like Sansa times these things yeah. to piss Danny off as much as she possibly can. Danny is feeling super weak at this moment. And the only thing she has is the support of these men around her. And I'm sure she's feeling like she did as much to fight and help them in this battle as anyone. And it's an agreement that they help her now. And she's worried. Maybe if they wait around, people will think, it's not worth it. I got to go back home and rebuild for my family and try to pick up the pieces of what we have left. And every moment she waits, Cersei's contingent is getting stronger that's the truth so i can see the frustration but it certainly is a bad idea to not give these men the chance to be in fighting shape this is a rough call on a leader of course john jumps in to say well, we're not saying we're rescinding on this agreement we'll do whatever you want mm -hmm. your grace he's really worried that we can't tip that balance and at this the plan is laid out john and davos will ride south on the king's road with the bulk of the remaining dothraki and unsullied Enough of them that it's a fighting force, I guess. And the smaller group will sail to Dragonstone with Danny flying the dragons overhead. I don't mean to be like harping on the battle strategy. I've been really up on this episode so far with very few nitpicks. It's more of a question. Why were they going to Dragonstone first? Why are we splitting the army? Was there a point to going there with a small contingent of the remaining army and Danny and the dragons, but sending John and them down the King's Road? Uh... It was so fast. I, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, was it just to meet up with the fleet of remaining ships? So John goes by land and they take the remaining ships. ships. That might be it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. I just talked myself right out of that. <laughs> okay. Well, as the others leave this meeting, Arya, Sansa, and Bran hold John back, taking him to the Godswood for a talk. So first mistake we've seen. They're leaving right away. Mm-hmm. So angry. And splitting up. As much as, I guess that kind of makes sense if they need the fleet. 
haven't we learned that this splitting up thing is a really bad idea and keep some guard on the dragons? I don't know. Um, the fact that John's not riding on Rhaegal, it's just, I don't really know how we got to this point. Yeah. But now John is cornered. Arya says although she respects him allying with Danny to defend the North, they still don't trust her. She's not one of them. She's not of the North. She's an outsider. I was a little surprised they're still taking such a hard line. And I guess I'm wondering why the intense mistrust of her. Yeah. I could see how she's been butting heads with Santa a little bit. But also, she's kind of done a lot to prove she's, she's put everything on the line. She has. She's lost so much. And, and fought with the rest of them to the detriment mostly of a good majority of her, her. people. Yeah. So I was just a little shocked and shocked that while they are Starks and they are of the North, that it's come down to this line of we don't trust anyone else and we don't need anyone else. I guess I just didn't know we were there. But they follow that up with his loving statement. John is family. They are the last of the Starks. And when he starts to resist, they insist he is a true Stark and their true brother which up until recently would have meant the world to John. Now, every single comment is just burning him until he has to tell them the truth. He reveals he has something to share, but only once they swear to keep it secret. <sighs> and then he turns to Bran. Was this his way of keeping the promise? You know, like Bran spilled the beans. He didn't actually <laughs> tell anyone. And they cut away, so we don't see it actually being told. And we don't see their response. Mm. I think that would have been important to know. But we see the reactions later, which I think is enough, what both Sansa and Arya are doing after this news. And then we go over to seeing the Lannister brothers. They're sharing a drink, discussing Jamie's decision to remain as a guest of Winterfell with Brienne, who's sworn to protect the Starks. A really big move at this point that Jamie is willing to give it a try at a peaceful, happy life at being better. For sure. And Tyrion seems genuinely happy for him. They're bantering when in walks Bronn with we go. a crossbow. But I love his personality, even there. <laughs> so, okay, let me say this first. He punches Tyrion to shut him up. That's not so out of character. Um, he says he's fed up with serving them and getting nothing in return. And he goes so far as to legitimately, seemingly ready to kill them if they don't just pay up. Did this feel in character for you, for Bronn? No, I don't think he was ever going to kill him. You don't think so? No. He he took a much harder stance than I've ever seen yes. Braun do. And in fact, although they were able to kind of temporarily buy him off, you know, Cersei's going to give me River Run, and Tyrion offers Highgarden, you can't go much higher than that. He's not going to fight anymore. He's done. He's sitting back and waiting for his payment to roll in. I was a little shocked by that because we do know there was some real affection or so we believed, at least to Tyrion, and I thought Jamie as well. He saved both of their lives multiple times. He has been paid partially and the war is not over and isn't that kind of the point of a sell sword? You're selling your sword. You can't just get paid without fighting. Yeah. Um, and I could see him being frustrated and... Kind of like I have had enough with this crazy family. But it felt like the tide only turned in their favor because he's betting that the Dragon Queen will win and wants to get paid by the winning side. If he really thought Cersei would win, I don't know. Maybe this goes down a different way. So they relent. Bronn leaves. Who knows where he goes for now? And we move over to the day of departure. Starting with the Hound riding out alone, but he's soon joined by Arya. She admits 
She too has unfinished business in King's Landing and also doesn't plan on coming back. She's actually legit changed. If she just came back, then she would be coming back just to be a lady. Oh, I didn't even take it as that. I thought she was anticipating, I'm not going to make it out of this. No, I didn't see it that way. Because it seemed like they both have what they consider to be this bigger purpose, this thing that they have to do. The Hound is not going to rest until he takes out his brother. Yeah. And for Arya, Cersei is still on that damn kill list. And no matter what the consequences, if they die in the attempt, they still have to do this. That's who they are. And other people don't really understand that. And that's why they're here riding together. As much as they have a love-hate relationship, they share what they have become. And so they go off together. I think they're best off because they're going to come in outside of the whole bodies for the war. They can sneak in, especially Arya. I just still don't think she'll be the one to give the final blow. I don't think so either. I would love to see the two of them teamed back up for one last attempt and hopefully make it out. Maybe they take down the mountain together, which allows whoever else to take out Cersei. I like them back on the road. Me too. Hoping to leave on good terms, Tyrion goes to see Sansa and tries to reassure her Danny will make a good queen. And with Jon spending more time in the capital, she will actually be the true power in the north. But he notes Sansa seems determined to dislike Danny. And she finally asks, what if there were someone else, someone better? I mean, I've been saying this all episode. This really makes me hate Sansa. Yeah, it's tough. What? Here's the deal. She's making it harder for them to fight together. If they lose this war, does she think she's safe up north? I don't know. Her men are down there. They're going to die if they lose it. It's going to be her and the skeleton crew she has there. They're in trouble. She's going to lose her kingdom too. Or have to bend the knee to Cersei. And do they have to be doing this before there's still such an important battle to fight? <clears throat> Can't we talk about all this? After. Throne stuff after is so divisive because it does exactly that. Drives a wedge between Tyrion and Varys. Yep. The men behind the scenes. And there's already trouble with John and Danny. They need to be united in this. I know that we are meant to be rooting for Sansa in this journey that she's come through and everything she's managed to survive coming out stronger. But they just keep seeming to show us her doing things that are divisive. Yeah. And it's difficult to, to get on board with that. Especially since she's just hanging back. She's not even a part of this war physically. I think what really did it for me was her comment to Jamie later on. There was no mm-hmm. need to say that. I, it's kind of like, why are you doing this? You know, you got Brienne right here who clearly is in love with Jamie and thinks he's changed. I mean, they're just, it seems to be cruel for cruelty's sake. And that's what worries me that maybe a little too much of Littlefinger has rubbed off. Now, I understand the feeling of, have we even considered that John could be a good ruler? <laughs> But clearly, that conversation is happening with or without the knowledge of his true parentage. So we're going to see how that unfolds later with Tyrion and Varys. Before that, we have the last of our goodbyes. We mentioned that Tormund is taking the free folk home, and Jon gets him to agree to take Ghost back where he belongs. I like this, because this next war is truly not their war. They're not part of the Seven Kingdoms. They're past the wall. They've done enough. More than enough. Yeah. Yeah, and leaving on good terms. And we also mentioned the goodbye to Sam and Gilly, who reveals she's pregnant again. Hopefully this isn't the last we see of them, but a heartwarming interaction where they both tell each other, John and Sam, that they're the best friends they've ever had. And no one knows yet that Gilly's baby is actually Jamie's. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's not go there. Just kidding. And lastly, Danny goes to meet with her dragons. She watches Rhaegal struggle with the tear in his wing, but eventually take flight. It's a good moment, and she follows on Drogon. And now the moment we don't want to talk about. (laughs) Skip it. The Targaryen ships sail toward Dragonstone, and below decks, Tyrion shares the truth about Jon with Varys, who thinks it won't remain secret for long. Jon has a better claim, he's a war hero, and people are drawn to him. Tyrion tries to hold the belief that they could marry and rule together, but Varys worries about her need for power and her state of mind. And outside, bolts start shooting through the air, and Rhaegal is shot several times, falling from the sky. The Kraken ships appear, led by Euron, all equipped with scorpions. Danny swoops down to torch them, but bolts begin flying. She turns and narrowly avoids the flurry. Euron then turns his sights on her fleet, and the bolts begin ripping the ships apart. Tyrion leaps into the water, and the survivors struggle to the shore, Grey Worm realizing Missandei isn't among them. Last episode I said, well, they can still use Bran, and he can use his ravens to look ahead to spy on Danny, but also... Maybe he could have been used here to look ahead at her land. Survey Dragonstone. Survey Dragonstone. We've been away now. Cersei knew we were gone, Mm -hmm. fighting up north. Maybe she has people in there. Yeah. Ready to get us. Bran could have went in with birds. Yeah, it's more of that kind of diving in before we have a fully formed plan. And man, we see just the sheer amount of damage once they start firing those bolts at the ships and they're just tearing through it destroys the rest of her fleet. I'm thankful and amazed that Tyrion made it out of there. It felt like this was mainly, yes, to go after a dragon, but also to take something as leverage for Cersei, and they got Masande. Pretty, uh, that's the luck of the draw, huh? Hmm. How do you get the most important woman? I'm sure she had intel on if these people are there. Varys? Oof. No, I don't okay. think so. I think Varys is, is genuine. We'll talk about that in a minute. I left the room. Do you remember? <laughs> you have trouble with these dragons. Well, it was so graphic. and It was brutal. He didn't die in a manner that felt Game of Thrones. You're supposed to learn from your mistakes. And Danny keeps falling into these same issues with her dragons. Mm, I felt so bad for him. And those remaining at Winterfell get the news of the attack. Sansa tells Jamie she's sorry she won't get the chance to see Cersei executed. That's the remark we talked about. And in the middle of the night, Brienne wakes to find Jamie leaving. She pleads with him to stay, telling him he's a good man and he can't save his sister. He doesn't need to die with her. But he responds he's not all that good, listing his many crimes done in the name of Cersei. She's hateful and so am I. They make it sound like he's coming to help Cersei, but we don't think that, right? No, I don't believe that. He's going to kill her. I think that he still struggles and has been with, can I really be this man I would like to be that Brienne sees me as? And I think that he said this in a harsh way so that she would leave. Right. She wouldn't hold out hope, knowing that he very well might not come back from this. But also that there is that part of him inside of there that he wouldn't like to acknowledge what he's capable of. I think he means it here, though, as a way that he can read her like no one else can. He can get in close to her because he knows how she thinks. And maybe he can take her out. That's what I'm hoping, anyway. And now we see what's happening at King's Landing. Cersei has Kyburn bring the people inside the Red Keep as protection from the usurper. Oh, I just want to punch her. Mm. Uh, she knows how to play it, man. Danny would have to murder thousands of people to get to her. 
She holds Masande shackled, and she tells Euron when the war is won, the lion shall rule the land, the kraken shall rule the sea, and one day their child will rule them all. I mean, it's really smart because the people think that she's bringing them in to save them, Mm -hmm. to protect them. This crazy dragon queen is coming in here to burn all of you. She burned all your food. (laughs) We don't have enough supply for the winter. I'll keep you safe. And she's playing Euron exactly the way we knew she would with she's got his child, you know, wrapped right around her finger. Now, does he believe it or is he just going to go along with that story? I thought for sure when Tyrion approaches Cersei later on at the gates. She was going to kill him? Well, yes, I thought that too. But also Euron was going to say... Wait a second. How long have you known? Oh, for sure. That you're pregnant? Why would Tyrion know that unless you were pregnant beforehand and it's not my kid? He gave a look. So part of me thinks maybe he knows, but this is a story that suits him too. Maybe. Or now he knows and he'll talk about it later. Mm. We need someone on Cersei's end to change sides or at least second guess. We thought Bronn could be that person. Clearly not. And Tyrion has shown... As smart as he is, he still has too much goodness and empathy. He's tried several times with Cersei and it's not working. And thus, that's why I think Jaime knows he's the only one, really. And he's killed one king before to stop that from happening. When Grey Worm offers to storm the castle, Varys begs Danny to proceed with caution. I promised you I would look you in the eye and speak directly if I ever thought you were making a mistake. This is a mistake. Cersei needs to be destroyed, but if we attack King's Landing with Drogon and the Unsullied and the Dothraki, tens of thousands of innocents will die. That is why Cersei is bringing them into the Red Keep. These are the people you came here to protect. I beg you, Your Grace, do not destroy the city you came to save. Do not become what you have always struggled to defeat. Danny believes it is her destiny to free the world of tyrants, but Tyrion convinces her to give Cersei one last chance to surrender while they wait for Jon's reinforcements to arrive. I don't really think Tyrion had a choice here. It yeah. is another bad decision, and I think even he knew it wasn't going to work. Uh, I'm surprised that Cersei didn't just tell them to aim those scorpions at that little bit of army they she had there and taken just kill Danny right there. They certainly could have taken Tyrion out. Well, yeah, just with regular arrows, but mm-hmm. Danny was close enough. Yeah. With her handful of people just to end it right there. Yeah, but the same way Tyrion's telling Danny, you have to play this chess game. You have to show the people that you're giving her the opportunity to surrender and she's sure. not. Cersei knows better than anyone she has to play this right because the only shred of anything <laughs> she has left is this house of lies. Alone, Varys tells Tyrion that Danny's destiny, quote-unquote, is dangerous, and the best ruler might be the one who doesn't want to rule. He comes back to the same point Varys has always been about, that he will never betray the realm. He will always act in the people's best interest. He's worried that she is going to go the way other tyrants have gone, and the people are going to be the ones that suffer. It was her idea to come in guns blazing from hmm. the very beginning and torch everything, and if there's innocent bystanders, it is what it is. In hindsight, would that have been the better plan? We'll never know, but Varys will always take that line. Jon seems more temperate, more measured. He thinks he would act in those interests better. Would what have been the better plan? To just torch them all? From the get-go, before going up north, when she had three dragons 
take Cersei out. That probably would have been a better plan to just take Cersei out last season. It would have cost people, but I mean, again, hindsight, who knows? I wonder if that would have played this season better. If we won the throne mm-hmm. last season and this whole season was about the long night. I'm not going to lie. That's how I expected this season to go for somehow the battle with Cersei to be first and the long night to be later. Oh, I, I knew it wouldn't go that way after last season because they were going north. I still held out that hope, though. <laughs> um, I don't know. We have to wait and see where this goes to the end. But it is a little confusing right now to me, the way we've structured it. I do like that we're coming back to the very central thesis of where these people behind the rulers were at in the beginning when it was... Varus and Littlefinger and who were they going to support and who would be the better ruler and is this Targaryen going to be a mad queen? Should we put a Stark on the throne? It's really coming back to the heart of it. It surprised me but I'm happy that Tyrion is still fighting for this belief that Danny would make a good ruler. Even though he sees some of these red flags he has made his choice with her and he wants to honor and respect that and stand by her. He tells Varus it's treason to talk about this. I mean, by the end of the conversation, it sounds like he would have her taken out the way they talked about doing in the very beginning, removing the last of the Targaryen line. And Tyrion doesn't want to hear anything about that. Our concluding scene, Danny, Grey Worm, Varys and Tyrion arrive outside the gates of King's Landing in front of their very small contingent of Unsullied. Dozens of scorpions line the wall, all pointed at Drogon, and Cersei stands with her supporters. Kyburn walks out of the gates to meet Tyrion as everyone watches on, and representing their queens, they both voice the same demands, with Missandei's life hanging in the balance. Tyrion pleads that this could be their last chance to avoid carnage, but Kyburn insists their army is depleted and their dragon vulnerable. So seeing that they won't back down, Tyrion walks right up to the gate to address Cersei directly. He says, I know you don't care about your people. They hate you, and you hate them. You're not a monster. I know this. I know this because I've seen it. You've always loved your children. More than yourself. More than Jamie. More than anything. I beg you. If not for yourself, then for your child. Your reign is over. But that doesn't mean your life has to end. doesn't mean your baby has to die. This was the last ditch. Yeah. He knows, like everyone else, that her only weakness has always been her children. It was well done. It was well said. But I knew the whole time, you know, she's not going to be like, okay, open the gates. I give up. But you could see, and Lena Headey's such a good actress, maybe there was a shift while he was talking on her face. Yeah. She softened a little. You could see she didn't want to have him killed, as she certainly could have. But she has sacrificed everything to get to this point. Yeah. She can't. What is no. she going to do? She can't give up now. So unmoved, Cersei advises Masande to speak any last words. She looks to Grey Worm first, then Danny, and finally says Dracarys. 
Burn them all. The mountain pulls his sword and beheads her, and Danny watches all of this until she turns, seething, and walks away. She's pissed off, and at this point I understand, and there's no turning back now. But um, as we learned over and over and over again, if you start a war angry and not thinking clearly, you're going to lose people. Well, here's the thing. The time for Unleash the Fire mm-hmm. is gone. She doesn't have enough to unleash the fire on Cersei. All that's going to do is get them all killed. But I don't think that matters now. I don't think she's going to hear any reason. I'm so angry. (laughs) Intentionally, I'm sure they did a good job of provoking those emotions in this episode. Well, all that being said, this was a long rundown. The Ravens have flown and the ratings are in. Jason, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give episode 4? All right. So I was back and forth about being completely honest because it seems some people get upset with us. But bring on those negative reviews. (laughs) I'm going to be honest here. It feels rushed, Mm -hmm. especially this episode. This should have been two or three episodes worth of content. Let me give you two examples. And I've seen people write about this too. So it's not my only thoughts. It's not only my thoughts. The Sansa turning around and telling about her brother right away to Tyrion, because it was truncated into this one episode five minutes after she just learned it, Diminishes her character. It it diminishes it greatly. Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones normally would be very good at taking the time to show what's going on in everyone's minds and the politics going around where she almost has to. Mm -hmm. She has no other choice but to tell Tyrion. That was the beauty of Game of Thrones. To the Jaime relationship with Brienne, it felt like they just embraced. He just made that decision. This is their first night sleeping in bed together. Mm -hmm. And I know maybe it wasn't, but it felt that way. And now he's getting up and leaving. Yeah. It didn't hold the weight with the characters that it normally does with Game of Thrones. The planning, and this, is, this probably is on purpose, but this is two wars now where the planning was just shite. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a better way. And maybe it's because Game of Thrones wants to make us feel defeated, and then hopefully we win in the end and it feels more victorious. I still love Game of Thrones. So for this episode, I'm going seven Ravens. If you somehow make Rhaegal alive next week, I'll give it an eight. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I hope that makes sense. And please stop with the reviews, the one-star reviews saying that we're so negative. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. In all of the years previously that we've reviewed Game of Thrones, we were very few times ever negative. And I think that when we present this, we really try to present both sides of an argument that it's not just complaining or nitpicking. It's what we liked, what we didn't like, what everyone else is saying about it to give a really balanced perspective. And I'm sure the majority of the hate was coming at me for the last episode, The Long Night, because I have been in it for the fantasy part of it. I've been in it for The Long Night and The White Walkers and The Prince Who Was Promised and all of that just not living up to expectations was disappointment for me as a viewer. Because this side of it wasn't as weighty in my mind, the politics, the people in rooms, the fight for the throne, I went in with much lower expectations. So I actually enjoyed this episode. There were still parts of it that disappointed me, but it's mostly holdover to last time. How do I care about this as much as I'm supposed to when we just defeated the undead? Why is everyone still fighting? It's residual confusion and frustration. I do see the problem with the pacing. I think it started late season six 
kind of ramped up in season seven, but I was willing to give it a pass because I liked the direction they were headed, but that meant they really had to stick the landing on season eight, and at times it feels wobbly. Are they failing? Not by a long shot. I still hold to the belief this is one of the best shows on TV, and no matter how it ends, will go down as something I have enjoyed watching more than anything else, but it does feel rushed. What felt weird to me was the split of feeling like it was two episodes, resolving the Winterfell stuff and the King's Landing stuff mashed together. Let's make it 80 minutes and we'll make both work. Don't sacrifice the time from the Long Night episode for that. Please, I wanted it to be that long and I wanted it to hold that. Just give us more episodes. That's all I'm asking for. Maybe that would have Stretch it, make been it the feel solution. like a Game of Thrones. Yeah, we, there's so much that needs time devoted after eight seasons and such a huge world that R.R. Martin built that we've delved into. You need time to wrap all of this up properly. But as I said, I'm not as hard on this one as the last one. We'll see where that goes with how they wrap things up in episode five and six. For this one, I'm going to give it an eight. So I'm the asshole this week. Hey, listen, we got to take turns on here, <laughs> <guess> right? So. <laughs> um Look, I still love Game of Thrones. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just upset with the way this last season's going. Yeah, and I hear all of that. Um, as huge fans, we're going to be harder on it, right? We, there's so much riding on this. And I understand there's no way they could win that. There's no way to really do it right. But there's times. There were times in episode two where they were getting it just so right. There were moments of the long night that were really nailing it. So I'm going to hold on to my little bit of hope. I may get more negative in the future if it doesn't live up. We'll see how things shake down. In the meantime, we have one of our favorite segments. Every week, we ask our Clatchers via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, who is your MVB? If you haven't followed us yet, now's the time to do it with only two episodes remaining. This week, we gave you Cersei, Tyrion, Varys, and Missandei. Now, the Missandei, admittedly, is a farewell. Yeah, but uh, people are liking it. Yeah. Uh, this is the closest run poll I have ever seen with just percentages dividing them. Coming in at 23%, 1% short, fourth place is Varus. Also keep in mind there's two hours left in this poll, so it may be tweaked a little bit. But at this point, yes. Um, I'm surprised he got that much. Well, we talked about the fact that Tyrion and Varys are our men behind the scenes making things happen with their strategy. They've come to a point where they are really divided on one camp or the other, John or Danny, and they're both going to push their side. We know it to the extent that Varys is talking about maybe taking Danny off the board. Treason. That it's is insane. Highly moving a plot forward for the episode, which is what oh. we always say about MVB, right? And he had so little to do last episode, it's all the more. But how do you expect to win if you take out Danny? John. He wants John to be the only man. And right in front of him with 24% is Cersei. Well, I mean, she has pushed the plot. We hate her, but that's on purpose. Again, you were wondering how can they make us care about this as much as the long night? Well, they can make it by making us viscerally hate this woman. She could have easily been DMVB for the episode. As much as everyone hates her, nobody wants to vote for her as far as pushing things forward. This was Cersei's episode. Yeah. Yeah, and only just slightly above that. In second place with 25%, 1% more is Tyrion. For all the reasons we mentioned and quite literally putting his life on the line yeah. by trying it. In vain, but desperately to make that last attempt 
to bring her over to the side of reason. However, in first place, with 28%, is Masande. What can we say? She was an amazing character. She went out the same way she's lived, strong and in service of Danny and her cause, and telling her, you know what? We tried our best. Now, go torch them. That was her final words to her. Knowing, knowing very well what kind of mindset this was going to put Danny in, it was almost, not only do I forgive what you're about to do, but I support it. There's what, what's left to us. This woman's crazy. Well, dear me, I think that despite the roiling in my gut and how much I hate this, I have to give it to Cersei. Yep, same here. I have to as well. I hate myself right now. This is the hardest podcast. <laughs> this is like the episode that you don't want to like yeah. and everything's making you angry, but they took a dragon down. They took out the entire fleet. They have uh, gone from being totally outmatched to having this battle... They're winning. By right the you-know-what. Yeah, yeah, they're they're winning. She's got Euron wrapped around her finger. Dragon can't get close to the castle. All those scorpions, we're going to have to take those out first. And I really think the Masande move is drawing Danny in to make this bad decision. And then they'll take down Drogon. Well, let's find out what our Clatchers had to say. Oh, Kirk agrees, saying it's painful to vote for her, but if our criteria is whoever moved the story forward the most... There would be no story here if not for Cersei. And Melly responds, okay, so Kirk rebelled and voted before I ordered him who to vote for. <laughs> Note to self, punish Kirk. <laughs> I voted for Tyrion because he seems to have an informed view of both sides. And his strategizing might save a lot of people. Ooh, we can only uh, hope. Uh, we, yeah. I think Danny's done listening to him. Yeah, Unfortunately. Richard says, it was Tyrion's question and Tyrion's drinking game that broke the ice for his older brother. That's what I call influence. <laughs> Younger brother helping him out. The ultimate wingman. The phallus, my favorite, says, I voted Varys, but honorable mention to Missandei. I was kind of expecting Drogon to appear after she said Dracarys as her final words, but I know the battle would be over in this episode. If so, Jaime will be the one to kill Cersei. Yeah, I mean, they do have you kind of hooked here when she says that, thinking that something is going to happen. Mm-hmm. But then I think you're meant to realize that it's a message to Danny more than anything else. It's just... It was that weird anticipation. Sasatek says, Varus, he's always been about the realm since day one. Kudos to him for being so loyal to the ones who need it the most. Trish says, Danny has to feel completely isolated right now. Another dragon, Missandei, Jorah, revenge mode activated. I voted for Tyrion for at least trying to keep the peace. Jeff says, Missandei, simply for her last words and loyalty to her queen right until the end. Elliot Todd wants a write-in for Sansa. She made the decision to break her promise to Jon, who really believed everyone was as honorable as himself, and share the information with Tyrion. Her actions started an avalanche of consequences, starting with Varys. Yeah, well, we yeah. didn't like it, but certainly plot moving is, is true. For sure. I'm so mad at Sansa right I now. I know. <laughs> Jenna feeling our pain about Rhaegal and Missandei. Yeah, Amanda agreeing, whoever moved it most, I voted for Cersei. She's not going to back down until she's dead, and I hate her for it. Also, pour one out for Rachel and Masande. <laughs> Every so often we get, this tweet is unavailable. Is that someone swearing a lot or something? That Could be. But Clatchers, let us know. I wonder what uh, that's weird. Twitter does. Or delete it? Or they delete it. Hmm. Sherry Ava wants to remember Masande. Fierce, courageous, loyal, loving, and hopeful. Taken too soon. Ah, uh, and a beautiful gif of Missandei. Mm-hmm. 
And then another toast to Regal and a beautiful photo of him. I hate you guys so much. <laughs> the noble and majestic, the beast of grace and dragon ruler of the skies. Heartbreaking to see him ambushed. Brian T. gave it to Tyrion for his devotion and compelling speech. Looks like John and Danny's love story is headed for a very tragic end. Yeah, for sure. Danny, I don't think Danny's going to live. And I think we're going to lose our last dragon. I mean, they were equally setting it up, though, that John could be taken from us. And I think they've done this on purpose so that we won't know. I mean, he says goodbye to Ghost. He says goodbye to his best friend, Sam. Tormund goes back north. His dragon is taken out of the picture. He's making the Ned mistakes right before going to the Capitol. I think I jokingly said it in the prepper that they both die and Jamie's the one who lives and I can't, I can't kills his think sister. about these things. <sighs> ah, Joe agrees. My emotions were on a roller coaster. Cersei being in control of hers is why she's one step ahead of Danny. Cersei for MVB because she made me feel the rage I saw in Danny's eyes at the end. Agree. Dracarys. That was so well said. <laughs> That was way better said than my emotional response. Yeah, yeah. that's why we have platters. <laughs> Jennifer says Tyrion turned every plot point. He got Brienne and his bro together, checked Tormund, bolstered Sansa, carried truth to Varys, and pushed for loyalty to Danny. Supported Jon's wishes, made an appeal to Cersei's withered, shrunken soul, and begged for mercy for the children of the Red Keep. Yeah, he even tried to negotiate with Kyburn. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. you're a rational man. <laughs> And there were so many other great responses. Thank you all, as always, for your messages. We've read them all. Before we get to a few for this episode, we had some write-ins regarding the last one, The Long Night. Michael says we finally have some post-hoc justification for Tyrion's appropriately maligned Let's Capture a White plan. For it was on that mission that Jon realized if a White Walker falls, then all of its whites fall. That's true. This becomes the central tenet of the eventually successful Battle of Winterfell. What a great point. In hindsight, we needed that to happen. Absolutely. Stevie wrote in about our discussion on the White Walkers, thinking about our cyclical theory and the fact that we saw Craster's babies being taken, the time that we saw Jon Snow following the cries of one of them left in the snow and a White Walker picking him up. Basically, he's questioning, did we see all of those White Walkers in that final scene in The Long Night? Could there be some contingent north of the wall, which we had speculated at? Meaning if at the very end, when we finally figure out who's ruling the throne and we think that everything's done with, we're pleased as pie, we move to there's still the White Walkers north of the wall that need to be kept north for however many thousands of years. And the last clip is Tormund pulling out his sword. Ooh. Oh, shit. With Ghost by his side. Mm-hmm. So I definitely like the idea that it's not done forever and we'll see that. Yeah. At least nod to the cyclical notion of it at some point. Uh, we had a bunch of write-ins just to kind of address this quickly. One from Melissa saying after last episode that they definitely thought the White Walkers and the Night King were Targaryens because of the fact that fire didn't burn them and their sigil looked like a Targaryen's. We did a lot of reading up about that. There was so much to get to last time. I agree with you that Sigil was reminiscent, which we're not apparently going to go into on the show, but we had addressed that the Night King can ride the dragon because the dragon's dead. Yeah. He can reanimate and control any of the dead. It could have been a snow bear or a woolly mammoth or whatever, and can withstand fire because he's the embodiment of ice. Unfortunately, Targaryens didn't start coming over to Westeros until well after the Night King and the White Walkers were created. Right. So it couldn't have been a Targaryen. Could have been a Stark. I think it was a Stark. 
but I also don't think we're going to get that here, maybe in the books. So let's move into episode four's comments. Sherry said she was feeling a little bad for Danny in this episode. She lost most of her loyal and best friends, another child and her dragon, and her efforts and sacrifice fighting the dead weren't really acknowledged in that scene in the Great Hall. Lots of people, of course, lamenting the loss of Rhaegal, our dragon. Oh, Jaren wondering at a great question about the scorpions. Kyburn stated that Drogon is vulnerable. Wouldn't attacking at night greatly limit the effectiveness of those crossbows? Oh, for sure. But remember, they didn't even know they were there. Oh, for the castle. So if Drogon were to swoop in at night when they can't see him as well? Yeah, because you wouldn't be able to hit him. I mean, if you have that many, I'd still have to think he'd be very vulnerable. But if Danny's got even a half of rationality going into this, maybe she thinks that's advantage enough. Go in for one swoop and just blaze it up and then wait two weeks. Go in again, blaze it up. And then bring the army in. You don't have to get anything but Cersei. One yeah. blaze might do it. And that's why I say, well, she will, she'll be indoors. But I say wait two weeks because the following night, Cersei's going to have everyone up there. <laughs> wait till they get lax again. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is silly, but I was always wondering, and it might be too heavy, but what if the dragons wore armor? Chest plate and neck plate. Yeah, I don't think plate. you'd ever get that on them. No? I mean, that was all the talk about <clears throat> saddles that... Some of the oh, Targaryens right. used to have saddles to ride the dragons with. But A, that's got to be crazy difficult to get it on them. And B, then you actually have to be tethered to, to dragon. the dragon. So the times where we saw Danny be able to roll off and actually it saved her life. Yeah. You couldn't do that. And it looks like Andrew's back with another voicemail. <sighs> all right, guys. It's Andrew in North Carolina. Um, oh, no. <laughs> first of all, let me say uh, thanks for the feedback. I can't do the feedback on magicians because it's on a night that's not convenient for me and I got to watch it a few days new. Whatever. I just finished watching Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> the, the the first question I have is that the most valuable Bannerman, there's not a damn one in this. Not Sansa, it's not Tyrion, it's not, clearly not Cersei, uh, Varys, just, I'm, fuck that guy. I, I just, he's not for anybody but himself. I kind of like Masandi, seriously, she can't be that because, I mean, she just she got caught and died. Like, uh, Grey Worm. <sighs> Nobody. Everybody sucks in this episode. I don't <laughs> oh, know what no. else to say. Um, but the good thing is that it's, it's back to the Game of Thrones style instead of the Battle Royale style. Although, the, the you know, the, the those kind of battles are fun, but the last couple of seasons have been more of that. But Game of Thrones is back. You know that that feeling of the politics of it is mm. uh, is that. So, God, man, this episode pissed me off. <laughs> I'm, Jamie, what the hell, you piece of shit! Um, so angry. I don't know. Last episode, I was super pumped. This episode, I'm pissed. Pissed at the characters, not at the show. Anyway, good job, y'all. Talk to you later. Deuces. I love that because I, I think that is absolutely 100% the intent for yeah. this episode to piss <clears throat> you off, to be mad at all the characters. He sounds just like me there, too. It's just like angry. We were having trouble with the MVBs this episode because we were mad at everybody. Um, and the magicians, I was just teasing, dude. It's all good. <laughs> I have to slightly disagree, though, about Varus. I think Varus is never for himself. That is the whole point of his thing is that he's for the realm, for the people. 
Does that mean he makes the best decisions? Maybe, maybe not. Who the hell knows? I think both him and Tyrion have extremely valid points. But I think you're going to see what they're doing here has influence later. If we win against Cersei, (sighs) these two men go back to being two of the most powerful men in the realm. For sure. It all comes down to who wins this battle. If we lose to Cersei, you want to talk about you're going to see someone pissed. Uh, (laughs) I won't be able to podcast. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I wish I was nice and safe up north. Well, cheers to people like Tormund and Ghost and Sam and Gilly that made the smart move. Absolutely. So thank you, Andrew, for your call in. And if anyone else wants to call in, give us a call at ckc.6606. That's 252-368-6606. That's what CKC is all about. If you want to rave about this was the best episode of television or if you want to vent your frustrations because you're so angry, we are here for you on both sides of that. And normally we're feeling all of the above. (laughs) But we're running really long here, so let's get quickly to our closer look and our spoiler section for what's coming next. First, we're going to take a deeper dive. We're going to talk about the Golden Company, which might sound a little bit strange, but we did say we were going to return back to them at some point. And I worry, if not now, when, because we could be seeing a showdown with them in the next episode. If that's the case, let's get a little more knowledge about their background. They were a band of mercenaries who built their reputation on never having lost a battle. The Golden Company began as revenge. On his deathbed, a Targaryen king legitimized all of his bastards either to buy his way into the Seven Heavens or to spite the family he left behind. We're not really sure. As everyone knew would happen, his great bastards, as they were called, wanted more. They wanted his throne under the banner of the new House Blackfire. That's what they called themselves. But their true-born brothers disagreed. This resulted in a civil war, and when the Blackfires lost, they fled to Essos to gather a new army and return for what was theirs. But wars cost money, And Agor Rivers, the leader of the Blackfire forces, who now called himself Bittersteel, decided he could sell his army's services to other lords while waiting to return to Westeros. Thus, sellswords, thus one of the biggest sellsword companies to ever be known. For their words, they chose beneath the gold, the bitter steel. To remind themselves, they weren't just hired killers, but knights of Westeros who would one day return and retake their home. Unlike other sellswords, they would never break a contract. But also, they would only take ones where the odds were heavily in their favor. Ugh. Those are like the high-powered lawyers that just worry about their record. So if it's too hard, they don't do it. Kind of, but this is really interesting. This group of all Targaryen-borns, but they're bastards, right? Try to assert their claim once the last ruler has died. The true-born sons kick them out. So they say, well, we're going to go over to Essos and bide our time. We'll Mm. build back up our army, and then we'll come back, and we'll get what's ours. Very similar to the way Danny's coming back to get what's hers. It's kind of odd that these people with this purpose that began the Golden Company are now going to be on the other side fighting a dragon queen. Yeah. I don't think any of that's going to play into the TV show, really. I don't know if we have time for it, but it's an interesting thing to know when that showdown finally takes place. Well, we know one thing. They never break a contract. Also, in the TV lore, we know none of that about them. So I don't think it would be that compelling if we learn last minute just by one exposition scene you know so i i don't foresee the golden company turning on cersei maybe maybe not but if we needed a reason for her to break even further this is the company she's hired doesn't that just speak to her arrogance and Mm -hmm. 
further ridiculousness. I mean, we brought back in Dorn within two seconds this episode. A whole part of the country that we thought was out of the picture yeah. with one sentence of the new prince supports us. Could they show back up next week? Absolutely. So. With this show, I'm not counting it out. So who knows? Well, that wraps up this episode and just leaves us with our spoiler section. As ever, we look forward to you joining us next week when we will review episode five. Only two more to go in our final season. And if you are afraid of the spoilers, we will see you next time. For those of you still here, our preview for the next episode shows Tyrion walking through the darkness of Dragonstone. He looks like he's at that table, their version of a war table, yeah. but by himself. Hmm. There's no lights on. It's like, what's going on? What's he doing there? It's probably late at night. He's just thinking. But why are they back there? <clears throat> oh, they Are they just waiting for John's army to show yeah. up? They're pretty close, relatively. So yeah, they're going back. To the John's going to show up, and yeah. Hmm. Well, Cersei looks out on the Red Keep, getting ready. We suppose John and the rest of the army arrive. Soldiers line up, and crossbows are loaded. And finally, Euron looks up to the skies from his ship. Ugh. And I believe that was sound of dragon mm-hmm. that made him look up. <laughs> it certainly sounded like it. Well, I am excited and also scared for next week. Mm. Don't take Drogon or we are done. Yeah. We rebel if you take Drogon. And I'm so flustered I forgot to thank our Clatchers before our sneak peek for their great reviews this week on iTunes. Ms. Maya, John from Newport News. If you're from a news company, see if they can talk about us on air. (laughs) That'd be nice. (laughs) Pamau, you guys are doing this on purpose. (laughs) DWK88. They are trying to trip you up. Kevin V. USA. Jane Marie Jane, Big Tom 78, Jazzalan, BD1598. Thank you so much for your positive reviews. We read them all and we appreciate it greatly. In such a controversial time of Game of Thrones, it is so hard to cover this show. So we really appreciate that you are supportive of what we're putting out there. This virtual water cooler is the only way we're getting through the mm-hmm. final season. I can tell you that much. So continue those ratings and reviews. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check out our Patreon, of course. We want to thank Hunches.app for their support on this podcast. Remember, just go to Hunches.app forward slash CKC to play some prediction games where users compete against the crowd to be right about future events. That includes Game of Thrones. If you think you can be more right than the crowd for a longer period of time, if you know who's going to end up on that Iron Throne, visit Hunches.app forward slash CKC and get in on the fun today. It's kind of hard to explain everything that's involved. It is actually really fun. So make sure you just visit it and see what it's all about. Hunches.app forward slash CKC to test your skills today. And until next week. This round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.